0: Well, good morning, Chapel Rock. I'm glad you're here this morning, and I'm glad you're a part of things this morning in this new series called Blueprint. We're talking about what God has designed for His church. That's for all of us. And Casey opened the series last week by talking about what God had designed in the very early stages to get the church off the ground, to get it moving in the right direction. And today we want to dig in a little bit on uh, what a part of God's plan is uh, for serving and what that means to us. We're glad you're here today. We're glad you're here if you're uh, tuning in via the live stream, and if you're out there and uh, being a part of things, we're glad you're doing that. But if you're local, join us sometime. The fellowship is unique. When you're here on Sunday mornings, we're so glad that we have that opportunity to do that now and to share God's word with you. So before we dive into what God has to say today, let's pray together and ask his blessing on what we do. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the privilege of your word. We pray your word will speak loudly today, Father. Father, we pray that you'll open our hearts and our ears, our minds and help us to hear what we need to hear, see what we need to see and then put those things to use in our lives. Thank you most of all for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. It was General William Booth who was a British Methodist preacher. He also was a founder of the Salvation Army who one time decided he wanted to send at the holiday season a message to all of his salvation workers wherever they might be in whatever country. But when he went to do that, he found out that his funds were not very big. And so he went to Western Union and found out that that he was only going to be able to pay by the word. Well, if you paid by the word, it's going to cost an awful lot of money to send that message around the world. So he decided to send one word around the world. One word that he wanted all of the salvation workers to remember. And that word was others others. That's what service looks like. Thelma Billy thought the same thing. Thelma Billy was a a 52-year-old mother of two children in Fairfax, Virginia. She was in Washington, D.C. one day walking through a park, and she noticed two men who seemed to be homeless and they were digging into the garbage can, and they were pulling out chicken bones that had a little bit left on them, and then they were eating what was left on the chicken bone. That bothered her the rest of the day. She went home that evening, and she could not sleep. All she thought about was those two men. And during the night, she even when she fell asleep in the wee hours of the morning, she dreamt about those two men eating out of that garbage can. The next day, she went back to the same park, drove there, and found those two men. Again, they were scrounging through the garbage cans. She bought them a hot dog, gave it to them. They just basically inhaled those hot dogs. And that started a one-woman campaign to feed the homeless in Washington, D.C. For the next two years, Thelma Billy would buy $150 worth of groceries every week. She would cook, and she'd prepare, and she would go downtown Washington, D.C., and feed as many people as she could possibly feed, not only downtown, but outside of homeless shelters and in parks and other places. And she continued to do that over a period of time. She said, maybe I can make a difference in one or two lives. And then people began to see that and find out about it and they would donate food. She would not take money because she said, I don't want any trouble from the IRS. But she fed thousands of homeless people over a two-year period until others joined in. And that's what service looks like. Booker T. Washington the founder of the Tuskegee Institute in Alabama and also the president in those days was walking to the college one day when a lady a rather affluent lady was stepped out on her porch and yelled, "Hey, hey! Can you can you chop some wood for me?" He thought, "Why not?" So he took off his jacket, he walked up by the house, he chopped some wood, he piled it together, he carried it inside and put it where she wanted it, and he grabbed his jacket and went outside and headed on to the college. Her uh, maid maidservant in the house came to her and said, do you realize who that was? She said, no, no, who was that? She said, that's the president of the college. That was Booker T. Washington. He, he's the president of the college. She, the lady was so embarrassed, she ran into a room. She changed her clothes. She went down to the college. She asked to see the president, and he gave her an audience. And as she apologized over and over and over again for what she had asked him to do, he finally said, ma'am, it's okay. I'm always willing to do a favor for a friend. That's what you call service. Susie Schneider, you may not know that name. Susie is a board-certified internal medicine doctor and a doctor of pediatrics. She doesn't live here in the United States in a plush home in a suburb of some city She doesn't do that. Her and her husband, who is a business administrator, years ago decided to move to Kenya. And there in Kenya, they run a medical mission where he runs the business side and she does the medical side. And they help to meet the needs physically of the people in Kenya. And they also then feed them as often as they can. They live miles away from electricity and all the amenities that you and I enjoy today. And they choose to do that. And that's where they raise their kids. That's where they meet needs. And that's where they share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone they come in contact with. That's what you call service. You can find hundreds of stories like that if you do a little bit of reading. You'll find stories like that in the scripture. If you read Luke 10, you find the the, the a story of the Good Samaritan, and as he came across the guy who was beat up and left for dead and, and he took care of him and he bound his wounds and took him into town and put him in a hotel and paid the bill. And when he came back through, he paid off the rest of the bill. That's what you call service. You read in Leviticus 19 about the Israelite nation and how they, when they took the harvest in, they were not to touch the edges of their field. Because the edges of the field should be left a few rows of grain so that when they were done harvesting the middle of the field, then the others who didn't own land or own property could come in and take that grain and feed their family. That's what you call service. Jesus said in Matthew 25, Jesus said, you know, I I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. In fact, I needed some clothing and you gave me clothes. And he went on and on, and he was pe- painting a picture of service. And in Matthew 10, he says, if you'll just give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name. He was talking about service. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, the second chapter, he says, you need to think of the interest of others before you think of your own. And then he went on after verses 3 and 4, and in verses 5 through 11, he listed all of the attitudes that we should have that Jesus already has. And in the middle of that list is the fact that Jesus took on the form of a servant. Servanthood. That's part of God's plan for His church. It's part of God's plan for you and for me. It's a plan of service. It's a plan of serving others and doing what God would deem is the right thing for the church to do. In the book of Acts, in the early stages of the church becoming what God wanted it to become, you find chapter 4. If you have your Bibles or your devices today and you want to turn to Acts, the fourth chapter, we have two separate passages in this one chapter that will help us become familiar with what God says about His plan for service. Beginning in chapter 4, let me give you the background. Peter and John have been preaching. And they ran across a crippled guy at a gate as they went into the temple area... And they decided they didn't have a lot of money, so they did something else for him. They healed him, and that crippled man jumped up and walked. In chapter 4, the religious leaders of the day come, they arrest Peter and John, they put him in jail overnight for doing this for this guy, and then they bring him back the next morning, put him in front of the Sanhedrin, the religious body of the day, and they begin to question them. That's where we pick it up in verse 8 of chapter 4 in the book of Acts. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, answering them, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, the name of Jesus, under heaven, given to men, by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, some translations say ignorant. When they realized they were ignorant men, (laughs) they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And then jumping down to the end of the chapter, verse 32, it says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and much grace was upon them all. And there were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses, they sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. And Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, He sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Wow. Wow. Two different occurrences where the people in the early church decided it was important to serve others in a special way. That's what God has planned for His church even today. That we are involved in His blueprint that calls for us to serve one another. Now there are three teaching points we need to draw out of this passage today three things you need to be aware of and I want you to be aware of them in this order number one you see in verses 8 and 9 that we are called to serve both God and others we are called to serve God and others if you look further in the book of Acts in chapter 9 you find a story about a lady named Tabitha now that's the Aramaic name her Greek name was Dorcas and she was known for her acts of service She uh, provided clothing for people who didn't have clothing. She took care of the poor. In fact, if you read the account in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, it stands out that she did all kinds of things for the poor, those who couldn't do for themselves. She died. Peter was called, and he came. And when he came, it said that the women were all crying, and the first thing they did was show Peter all the clothing and all the articles that... Tabitha had made for other people. She was known for her acts of service. She was known for doing for others. It was serving that characterized her life. Now, we don't serve God because we want to build brownie points with him. We don't serve God because we want him to like us more than he did yesterday. Let me say this. God will never love you more than he does right in this very moment. And you can't do anything It'll change that. In fact, if you look at the story at the end of chapter 4, where Barnabas sells his land and gives the money to the church, he was just serving. He saw a need, and he went out and said, I don't need this land, and he sold it, and he gave the money to the apostles who were acting as the elders in the early church. And they decided where to distribute those funds. That's biblical, you know. It's biblical to take what you have and give it, ...to God and allow the spiritual leaders of the local congregation to determine where those funds need to be applied. That's biblical, and that's what we should be doing, is giving to God and not someone or something else. And so Barnabas set the tone... He, he was the one that was giving the example. And the Holy Spirit moved on the people in the church. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, they began to serve one another. And they had all things in common. They were taking care of one another. Lewis Carroll had it right when he wrote this quote, all that's really worth doing is what we do for others. That's what's worth doing. Now, we do a lot of stuff. We do a lot of things in life. But what's really worth doing is what's doing for others. It's service to other people. And you know, sometimes service has a certain sound to it. You ever notice that? Like on a wintry morning when you're just waking up and you hear a snow shovel or a snow blower in your neighborhood and you get up and you look out your window and there's one of your neighbors and they're shoveling not only their driveway and their walk but yours and the next person's and the next person's and the next person's. That's the sound of service. And when you, when you hear a hammer hitting a nail at a, at a Habitat for Humanity site, that's the sound of service. And when you hear that garbage truck come down your street in the morning and you're still under the covers and you know that a sanitation engineer is jumping off the back of that truck and dumping your garbage in that truck and you're still tucked into your covers, that's the sound of service. <laughs> and sometimes it's the rustling of pages, as a host mentor in Wayne Township is sitting with a second or third grader and they're turning pages and, they're, and the host mentor is helping the student to learn how to read and learn how to comprehend and learn how to progress in their education, that's the sound of service. And by the way, if you want to be a part of that sound of service in a local elementary school like Chapelwood or others in Wayne Township, or you want to be a part of a positive behavior program that we helped to start at Chapelwood Elementary, after this service and after the second service, my wife will be at the information center and she can describe that to you and you can sign up and you can serve today. Service also smells Sometimes it smells. It smells good. When you're taking a freshly cooked meal or some cookies or a cake or a pie to a house where someone's lost a loved one or someone has just had a baby, that's the smell of service. And the smell of service is when you're raking leaves for someone in your neighborhood. They can't get out and do it, but you're just going to do it. You don't need any pay. Pat on the back. You're just doing it. And the smell of those leaves, that's the smell of service. Or the oil while you're helping your neighbor fix his car, that smell that comes because they have no other way to get back and forth to work, and so you're jumping in to help that person, that's the smell of service. And in the back hallway of our church this morning, where you'll find our nurseries, when they are changing diapers, that's a distinctive smell of service. And when you go on that mission trip in a third world country to share Jesus Christ with people who have never heard, and when you walk down that street and the raw sewage is flowing in the gutter, that's the smell of service. You see, you have to notice very beginning here in this story that that the act of kindness that was given to the cripple was an act of service, and we are called to serve God and others in the same way. And if we're not, then there's something wrong. Because God's plan is for us to serve. Now the second teaching point you find here is pretty clear. The second teaching point simply says that we are called to acknowledge God in our service. We're called to draw attention to him. Did you notice here that that sometimes we look at things and we go, whoa, that's really impossible. But we know that Matthew 19, 26 says what? that with God all things are possible. And if we know all things are possible, then we can put ourselves in a position to serve in a very, very special way. Peter and John drew attention to God while they were serving. They said in the text, if you read the story again, we want you to know that it's by the name of Jesus Christ that this man has been healed. It's not us. It's it's the Lord. It's the Lord doing something unique in this person's life. And they gave credit to God. They acknowledged God in their service by what they're doing. We need to do the same thing. When we serve, we shouldn't take any credit for ourselves. We should be giving credit to the Lord. In fact, on our lips and on our hearts and our minds, we should be singing somewhere as we're serving God, to God be the glory, great things He has done. Not we, he. Great things he has done. But you find out as you go through life. How many of you agree? I'm going to take a poll real quick. Uh, we're not going to publish this poll, but I want to see what your hands say. Raise your hand. If you think sometimes life stinks, raise your hand. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes life stinks. Sometimes life just isn't what you think it should be. Sometimes life deals you a bad hand. Sometimes life stinks. Dave Faust, who's on the staff at East 91st Street Christian Church a couple years ago, wrote an article. He said when he was in Bible college, he met his wife, or future wife, and they got you know, serious about their relationship. So he grew up on a farm in Ohio, so eventually he took Candy to Ohio to visit the farm. And when they got there that day, they got out of the car, and she met his mom and dad and long lifetime farmers and, and met them. And then Dave said, come on, I want to show you the farm and he took her down and he slid the door open to the hog barn and he said she grabbed her nose and said ew what's that smell you know his dad said eh, it smells like money to me you know <laughs> he wrote a little while later that that they went to New York City which is where Candy was from And they went to visit her family, meet the parents and that kind of thing. And one day she said, I want to take you to show you this one thing. Let's go. And so she took him out on the sidewalk and down these steps and into the subway tunnels. He said he got to the bottom of the steps. He grabbed his nose and said, ooh, what's that smell? You know. And then he wrote in his article, sometimes life stinks. You get a bad diagnosis from the doctor. Life stinks. You lose a loved one unexpectedly, life stinks. You you do something that you kind of knew in the back of your head was wrong and you are incarcerated and now you are in a place where you can't really do anything because you're there, you're behind bars. Life stinks. But you know, the neat thing is that God has provided us opportunities to walk with families through the difficult times of diagnoses, to walk with people through the loss of loved ones, and through our Shepherd's Heart and Kairos Ministries, our men and women are going in behind the bars and talking to people about Jesus Christ on a regular basis. Hmm. I think that's called service. I think that's what God had planned. That's what God wants from us. Several years ago, Bob Russell said he was in a church preaching and a lady walked up and began a conversation. And Bob said, he looked at her and said, now what do you do for a living? And she said, well, I'm a missionary for Jesus Christ, but I'm cleverly disguised as a checkout clerk at Kroger's. (laughs) Maybe today you're a missionary for Jesus Christ and you're cleverly disguised as a teacher in one of our school systems. Maybe you're a missionary for Jesus Christ and you're cleverly disguised as a doctor or a nurse in one of our hospitals or one of our practices. Uh, Maybe you're a missionary for Jesus Christ and you're cleverly disguised as a racing team member or a mechanic or an HVAC expert or you fill in the blank. Because we serve a risen Savior, and we serve a powerful God, then you are a missionary wherever God plants you. And whatever you do for a living, and wherever you go, and how you live life, that's where you become that missionary. Charles Stanley, a great teacher of the Word, has this quote for us. He said, believers can serve God for a variety of reasons. Duty, self-satisfaction, financial gain, or even recognition. But a servant's spirit goes beyond outward actions to internal motivations. It flows from a heart yielded to the Lord for His purposes and willingly reaches out or stoops down to give of oneself to meet another's needs. Does that sound like the early church to you? Yes. Yes. Does that sound like the book of Acts to you? Yes. Does that sound like Acts chapter 4? Yes. Acts 9? Yes. Acts 16? Yes. Because we see the need, then God gives us the privilege of meeting those needs. We serve because God has it in his blueprint. It's his plan that we do exactly that. There's a third teaching point I want you to see here today. Not only do we serve God and others, and we acknowledge God in in our service, but then we are also called to spend time with Jesus. Have you ever noticed when, when God gets ready to do something unique, He first of all gets your attention about doing it? I've seen that many, many times in my years in ministry. In fact... I think we are called to spend time with Jesus, but here's what I want you to really remember today about that very thing, that before he sends us out, he calls us in. Before he says, go into the world, he says, come to me. Before he makes us his ambassadors, he calls us to be his companions. Why? Because we need His example, and we need His Word. We need that fellowship with Him in order to do what He calls us to do. Notice Peter and John. At the very end of the the first text we read, it says that the religious leaders looked at them and said, hmm, these guys aren't very smart. These guys aren't very learned. They haven't been to school. If you're from the country, not a lot of book learning, you know but they knew one thing, they'd been with Jesus. That stood out. That was obvious, that they had been with Jesus, that they had been doing the things with him that made them then do what they were doing. They were serving out of the abundance of what Jesus had poured into them. It was obvious that they had been with Jesus. Do people say that about us? When they see us in the public, when they see us in the neighborhood, when they see us shopping, when they see us at Speedway gas station, when they see us, you know, at Go Love Indy event, what do they say? Does it all of a sudden hit them? Man, man, those people, they've been with Jesus. They spent time with him. Now, I know somewhere in your heart you're saying, saying, well, Fred, come on, man. You know, sometimes I'm just so worn out from all the week's stuff and, and I'm too and I'm too tired. I'm too tired. I'm just worn out, I'm too tired, I'm too sad, I'm too distracted, I'm too depressed. What's your excuse for not being with Jesus? Because you need to be in his word and you need to be in prayer. You need to be with Him. And out of that abundance that He'll pour into you and the Holy Spirit working in your life, you will be able to serve like you've never served before. In Mark, the 10th chapter, the Bible says about Jesus, He's speaking of Himself. He said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus is our example. Jesus is the one that we need to follow. And you need to spend time with Him. You need to be in His presence so that you can serve. It's His blueprint. It's His plan for your life and for mine. It's what God wants. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus our Lord. Lord. In fact, I want you to give your attention to the screen today, to the screen, because the ensemble from Lee's College is going to help you know that name. It's the name of Jesus. He is the one and the only one by which you must be saved. And he is the one that gives you the power to serve once you give your life to him. Today you have that opportunity. You have that privilege of coming to him today. We're going to pray here in just a moment. We're going to sing a song of decision. And you have the privilege, the opportunity to give your life to the only one who can change it eternally. In his name. Is Jesus? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the blessings of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And what a wonderful, wonderful Savior he is. And now today, Lord, we want to make sure that we understand that, that when we give our lives to you, then we have the privilege of serving others. And Lord, if there are some here today who are followers of yours and they've not been serving, then I pray that they will make that decision to serve. And Father, if there are people here who have never even given Jesus the opportunity to be their Savior, they've never named the name of Jesus, then I pray they will today. And Father, if there are those who need prayer, I pray they'll come forward to meet with our prayer counselors. If there are some who need to talk this through and really know what they want to do, then I pray, Lord, they'll go to the next step room to get that discussion started. Father, whatever we need to do, I pray we'll do it today. In the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Once not you stand, and as we sing, if you have a decision to make, why not you come to the front.